Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Men podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Them podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And today we have Julia Kent as our guest. Julia is a romance author and she is a USA Today and New York Times bestseller. She is, uh, she writes in multiple genres and she writes with multiple writing partners. And Mm -hmm. so we talk about that today. It's a great interview. Yeah. And she's wonderful. She's very helpful and Mm -hmm. helped Jamie a lot. And we talk about that a little in the interview. And um, we talked about some really interesting things in this one that we haven't talked about before. Um, Audio and translations. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh, we talked about spinoffs and um, how she... Uh, kind of what she had learned from that. And that was interesting to me because mm-hmm. I've got a series where I've thought I have a character who's writing a book and I've had people email me and say, Hey, is this book really out? Mm-hmm. And she had done something similar to that. So I was really interested in her answer. Cause yes, you know, that's one of those like squirrel things mm-hmm. that I would love to go do, but I mm-hmm. don't know that it's really the best use of my time. So I haven't done it. <laughs> That's I know it's hard to decide. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on with you this week? Uh, well, so I have a sale coming up for, Yay. yeah, one of my series is going to, the first book is going to be on sale. So I've been meaning to do this for years. Um, I've gone into each book in the series and made sure the back matter is all updated mm-hmm. and that it leads to the next book, you know, it has the blurb and everything in the cover for the next book. So I updated all that. And so basically I've been doing catalog maintenance, which is so exciting. Right. And kids, <laughs> if you're listening at home, this is really important stuff. If you want oh to read through from it one is. Book to the next book in a series, it's really good, but it's yeah. like mind numbing because it's, cause I'm wide. So it's yeah. seven books on six vendors, I think. So basically that's what I've been doing for the last couple of days. I did get a little writing done, but mm-hmm. like tell myself it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to do, even yeah. though it's kind of hard for me to do that. So yeah, so. it's a pain. It's a yeah. pain, but yeah. it has. It needs to be done. I mean, it's it's a good press. It's a good best practice in my it opinion. Is. Yeah. yeah, but I do have one fun thing that I found. Oh, so yeah. this will be much more exciting than catalog maintenance. Um, I found a new show. It's a mystery show called The Mallorca Files. I don't know if okay. you've heard of this. It's no. on. Okay, so it's on in the U.S. It's on BritBox, Amazon. Mm-hmm. And it's a little um, kind of like castle, a little Beckett and Castle, mm-hmm. and a little Death in Paradise, Burn Notice kind of exotic location mm-hmm. off the coast of Spain on this island. Mm-hmm. So just really fun. So if you like oh, mystery, great. yeah. So that was my fun all, this week. Yeah, we're all looking for something to watch right about now. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw a, a meme today that says, now I know why dogs fight to get out the front door when you open it. I'm feeling about that way. <laughs> get a little stir crazy, huh? I know. What are we in? I've lost count of the I way. don't even know what day it is. I went I, to count the other day, and after like 45 days, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't even matter. it doesn't really matter. 
It doesn't. Well, I my book is with the copy editor, so that's exciting. And I put my release. I didn't have a release date, but I picked a release date, which I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, I, I, the beta readers loved it. Um, I great did, news. Yeah, I did cut four chapters before whole chapters. Wow! Before I sent it to the copy editor, so. Um, that was hard, but it was the right thing to do because if you take the chapters out, all but one of them didn't really change anything. And the one that it did change, I could take part of that and put it in another chapter and it just picked, it just helped with pacing so much. So, mm-hmm. you know, the whole kill your darlings thing is, it's a real thing and it, you know, it's hard, I mean, I but you can look better. Yeah. Yeah. And make the book better. And you can use that like deleted oh, yeah. scenes or whatever to give to your readers and stuff yeah. or little teasers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I will definitely do that. And, uh, but yeah, that's what's going on here. Just now just in launch mode, you know, get trying mm-hmm. to get everything set up and, um, just have my cover reveal. And Yeah. We should do a podcast on launching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We Maybe should. just talk about, cause yeah. you and I launch a little bit differently mm-hmm. depending on yeah. what we're doing. So. Right. Yeah, that could be really interesting. Kind of right. get to for, for of new view. people listening, uh, I have a free launch plan on my website. It's jennyalbrecht.com backslash launch plan. And you can get it there. It's free. So, mm-hmm. um, And we also have something going on this week, the uh, oh, yeah. Story Summit. Yes. So we stay did a little home, uh, Stay yeah. Home Story Summit is what it's called. Right. And so we did a little video so mm-hmm. you can actually see our faces if you sign up for this. And um, it's kind of what we wish we had known, a little summary of what we wish we had known and what some of the things our guests have talked about. Mm -hmm. And if you sign up, there's going to be so much information. There's like probably over 20 workshops, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you think? And they're all 100% free and nobody's trying to sell you anything. There's no upsell on the back end of what you see. And so that's always great. And it's just sort of, Kirsten, uh, our guest, oh. Kirsten Oliphant, yeah. uh, came up with the idea, and it's just a great way for, to get back to listeners and readers. And uh, so, if you've if you are an author and you just want to kind of get some more information on craft or marketing, this is for you. Or if you're a, someone that's got a great idea or have always wanted to write a book, this is a good thing for you too because it's gonna it's just all different kinds of great information for authors. Yeah. So we'll put a link to the sign up for that in the show mm-hmm. notes. And yep. then I believe it actually goes live on May 18th. I think that's yeah, correct. I think so. mm-hmm. If it's not, yeah. we'll correct it in the show notes. Yeah. So. No, I think you're right. I think it does. So yeah. Yeah. So lots of news this week and yeah. I guess we should get to the interview now. Yeah, let's do it. New York times and USA today, bestselling author Julia Kent writes romantic comedy with an edge. Since 2013, she has sold more than 2 million books with five New York Times bestsellers and more than 21 appearances on the USA Today bestseller list. So today we have Julia Kent with us today. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're great. We're great. Just, you know, self-isolating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, I'm so excited to have Julia with us because Julia's a rom-com author, but she also writes other genres, which we're going to talk about. But um, And Julia was like my, before I ever published or anything, she just was so gracious and 
I reached out to her and she just answered my questions and she didn't know me from Adam and it was just so nice. So I'm always, I always, always, always will sing Julia Kent's praises because she was so kind to me. So we are glad you are here. Thank you. You're welcome. So tell us the genres you do write besides rom-com. Okay. So I write romantic comedy as Julia Kent. I write uh, romantic suspense as Melly Rain. And then I co-author a shifter series with a fellow rom-com author. And we write under the name Diana Sear. And so okay. I, now, is that shifter series? It's not funny though, is it? It ha- it, it's, it's, it's rom-com. It has some it's light moments. rom-com. Yeah. It, it has a really intense world that we built. Mm-hmm. And so it's the billionaire shifters club. Okay. And okay. Um, it's, <laughs> It's it's got moments of hilarity, and oh, that's good. we could not help ourselves. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. I, people have asked, would you write anything else? I'm like, I love you know, I love suspense, but I'm sure in the middle of everything, the serial killer would crack a joke, and I'm not sure how that would go over. So you know, I'm going to stick with rom com. So uh, how'd you get into writing? So I've been writing since I was a kid, which is the standard writer's right, statement. Right. But um, I have been writing for pay since I was 16. Oh, wow. And so I had a weekly column in a little newspaper in my hometown. And I made $5 to write about uh, high school sports was one column. And the other column was like everything else, um, you know, speech team or theater Right. Um, productions, things like that, oh, and good. so I made ten dollars a week writing. And <laughs> which, you know, in 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 you know, nineteen eighty something something, that was yeah. a decent amount of money. Yeah. But um, and it's just gone from there. So I've published. I've been publishing fiction on some level since nineteen ninety one, ninety two, um, the old fashioned way, mm-hmm. and then self publishing got into that in twenty eleven. Uh, but I lurked for even longer yeah. on uh, K-boards back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that too. I found yeah. a lot of good stuff, but I didn't post that often. So right. So, what was your first big success? Um, so my first big success was a book called Maliciously Obedient, which was actually my fourth book. Uh, no, my fifth. My fifth mm-hmm. book. So the first four books that I wrote were novellas. And the maliciously obedient was, I was part of a group of authors who in 2013, we decided to create our own book tour. And, you know, that was, that was kind of dark, not, not quite the dark ages of self-publishing, but early, earlier days. Mm -hmm. And so it was late 2012, early 2013 that this group said, well, why don't we do our own book tour? Mm -hmm. Um, and we split up the work and reached out to bloggers, which there were hardly any then. I mean, there were plenty, but there weren't like now. There are hundreds. Mm-hmm. You can probably make up a list of seven, eight, nine hundred bloggers and bookstagrammers. And mm-hmm. so back then it was just we were making it up as we went along. And you couldn't do paid ads. There weren't Facebook ads, like nothing. So, so there were a group of us, probably 10, 10 to 20. And... Um, so maliciously obedient was my book for that tour. And I decided to start a new series. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, by early March, my book hit number six on Barnes and Noble. 
Oh, wow. At 99 cents. Mm -hmm. And it didn't do as well on Amazon. It didn't do as well anywhere else. And I mean, you you couldn't go direct on Apple back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I knew about Kobo writing, or maybe Kobo writing like didn't exist yet, or it was a it was a thing that was a mystery to me, you know, so, um, and I wasn't on Google play when any of that happened. So, so having it hit number six was like a big deal. Mm -hmm. And that was the month I made more money in that month because people found that book and then went and bought every single other book. Mm -hmm. And I had just gone wide. I had been in select with the first four books and decided to go wide for this. So I wasn't in select for very long. Mm -hmm. Um, but but so by March of 2013, I made as much in one month as I made in my job in a year. Oh my gosh. And now I had a part-time job. Um, uh, I know, but still. <laughs> right. It was a part-time university administrator's job with benefits. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was my first success. And then the oh, next book great. exploded after that. And that was random acts of crazy. Yeah. So, so I am very fortunate it happened pretty early for me. Um, yeah. it, it didn't, it didn't. Um, mm -hmm. Two years before that, I had actually published my first self-published book under a pen name I won't utter. Never reveal. <laughs> so, so it wasn't an overnight success. Mm -hmm. It was a two-year learn from mistakes, try right. things that didn't work. You know, I tried to write a, historic, a series of historicals and learned quickly um, but just because I was a history professor before didn't mean I could write historicals. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's so interesting that, so, you know, we, everybody wants to do so well with their first book, but it's a benefit sometimes if you have a couple books out and then yeah. you hit it big and you get attention because people want more. So then you have, they can go back and read, you know, yes. all the other books, which is awesome. Yeah. In a way it's, um, it's a disadvantage to have your first or your second book take off. Um, yes. It really is. It's, it's, I think that I know for me, my earlier books, I've had to go back and re-edit them because I mm -hmm. felt like the quality wasn't quite there or maybe the quality was there, but the pacing was off mm -hmm. or, yeah. Yeah. you know, that kind of feeling or what are the elements that I would absolutely um, intrinsically put into a book now that I just wasn't experienced enough to do yeah, back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if you if your 10th book, you know, may your 10th book explode, you know, in other words, <laughs> like, and, and all those people can go back and read the backlist. Right. But yeah, I think right. especially if you're all in on Kindle Unlimited, you really yeah. want that backlist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you and then when you don't write fast, you're just sitting there with one book going, you know, hey, have you read my book? <laughs> Right. <laughs> the other one's coming. I swear it's coming. But yeah. So yeah, I agree. It would have been if I had Julia's advice to me was write three books. I had one and a half written when I put it out. So that I, that's the only thing she told me to do that I didn't do. But I, did. I wish I had. I wish Halfway. I had. That was really, really good advice. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So what do you wish you'd known about writing and craft, Julia? Um, I wish when I started that I had really understood better the emotional reasons people read romance uh, and they're not, so yeah. they're, and they're not the shallow reasons that people wave off. Mm -hmm. That's, and, and it's not that I ever thought they were shallow. It's more, I thought I wanted to tell a good story. Mm -hmm. So I told my story. Now I still tell what I hope are good stories 
but I have a better understanding of why people want to read what I write mm -hmm. or why people want to read romance period. Mm -hmm. And having that inside as I'm telling the story means that I can connect even better with what the reader needs, not just wants, but what they need. Yeah. And I think if I had understood that better nine or seven years ago, um, I would have connected even more and been able to provide an even richer experience for the reader. That's so great. Yeah, that's such a good answer. Because it's true. Of, I mean, I think about when I was reading romance before I started writing romance. I mean, it was, yeah, there was just that thing there. And it wasn't what a lot of people think it is, that it's, you know, the sex or what it's right. that relationship. It's that feeling connected. To, well, for me, it was feeling connected to these characters and because I would read long series because I loved, you know, knowing these characters and know, you know, being part of that world and stuff. Now that's such a good answer. I wouldn't have come up with that one. But that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So what do you wish you had known about um, promotion and marketing? Switching to the other hat that we have to wear. 2012 and 2013, marketing and promotion was so different. I mean, night and day. So when my sixth book took off, Random Acts of Crazy, he asked me what my budget, marketing budget had been for Random Acts of Crazy, which had hit the USA Today bestseller list and release <laughs> and had stayed in the top 100 on Amazon for three weeks. And I said, $70. <laughs> And that's how much things have changed. And that's exactly how much things have changed because I, you know, I think I spend $70 when I cough on an AMS ad now, um, if, if you can get it delivered um, or on a, you know, certainly on Facebook, that's, that's three minutes of Facebook ads. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but I, back then it was so manual. It was emailing and even messaging someone on Facebook was a new thing. The idea that you would reach out to a bunch of bloggers was new. So I, it was very uh, like gonzo marketing and, and promotion back then. It was what, you know, whatever you could think of that might get somebody to mention you. Mm -hmm. Well, now we have promo tours and book promo companies and PR people you can hire and person, you, you know, you have those relationships. You can go to, you can go to conferences. We can't now, but you yes. can, you know, in-person marketing, even in connections and you can pay your way mm -hmm. to higher rankings mm -hmm. and sell books that way. If it, now no amount of paid advertising is going to, create a readership if the books aren't good enough to create a readership. So that's right. different. But I think back then I just, um, there isn't anything I wish I had known when I started. Because there wasn't anything. Because there wasn't anything. Yeah. I mean, I started Facebook ads pretty early for, for the author community. And that's because I, I was fortunate to have some friends who had discovered them. And mm -hmm. so my first ad ran in like December of 2013, January oh. of 2014. Wow. That is early. Yeah, It was early. Um, you know, if I could go back in time with ads in the early, cause I ran a few and then ignored them mm -hmm. um, because they just, I didn't understand what I was doing. I had no idea, but right. nobody really, very few people knew what they were doing. Right. Back, back then. then. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but I think, I think if I were starting, well, 
if I were starting out now, it would be really different, mm -hmm. but really, really different. Um, I think the biggest thing is um, I tend to discount what everybody else is doing if the advice that people are operating on is all or nothing. Mm. So when people say, oh, don't book an ad with blah, 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 it's worthless. Mm -hmm. That makes me kind of sit up and go, <laughs> I need to look into that because yeah. that doesn't mean it's worthless for me. Right. Um, so I, you know, but, but going back, there's nothing I wish I had known because there yeah. was nothing. Because there was nothing to know. Well, what assumptions did you make in the beginning about your writing career? And you look back and think that turned out to be right or wrong. That makes sense, yeah. Oh, well, okay, so my earliest books, I thought, well, I was a history professor. I've done research in archives in different countries. I can write a historical romance that's better than any other historical romance because mine will be authentic. And different. And, and different. <laughs> oh, oh, and I, you know, I, I, I haven't thought about this memory in ages, but I went to um, so this is how I started going to Romance Writers of America. I joined, well, I didn't join. I started going, like, you're allowed to go to a certain number yes. of meetings. Yes. Regional uh -huh. group. And I went to the very first one. And they were, it was a lovely gathering of, of people, all women. And um, someone asked what I was writing. And we were standing up and introducing ourselves and talking about what we were writing. And I said, well, mine is a, a sort of time travel, sort of historical um there's even this paranormal piece to it and someone next to me said well throw in YA and you cover everything <laughs> and I I remember like not understanding what that <laughs> and now I do yeah. you were thinking oh yeah I can do that right. yeah maybe I'll make it a mystery too and, you know it's a cozy next yeah. Yeah. yeah so so I I think that I had this assumption that, well, I know how to write, mm -hmm. you know, and I had, I had, um, I'm kind of a Jill of all trades. I had a literary fiction career. And I put that in quote, finger quotes, because I, in my best year, I made about $270, $290, but I published essays in literary magazines and I was um, accepted to bread loaf writing conference, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, I had to turn it down because I found out I was pregnant at the same time and that just wasn't compatible because I have horrible morning sickness and it was the same time frame. Yeah. But, um, but I, so I had that writing background and I've been nominated for the Pushcart prize twice, you know, so I had all that. So I just assumed when I started writing romance, Oh, I'm going to write a better historical romance. And Oh my God, those early reviews, man, man, I got savaged. I didn't know that. So I'll give, I'll give an example and I'm not saying the name, um, my characters are basically, I now know that I would, I would market it as a reincarnation romance. It's not time travel. Oh, okay. And so my characters have sex at the very beginning of chapter three. And that was just too much. Yeah. Well, and in my mind, what I didn't explicitly lay out was that you don't find out that they're reincarnated versions until the end of the book. Um, so it, that kind of beginner's mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. of course to a standard historical romance reader they're like going what the mm, <laughs> like, what is this 
Yeah. Yeah. Not early. what I expected. Right. Right. Yeah. So I have the vapors. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, or it just didn't meet their expectations. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the things I had. I, I didn't understand how important genre expectation really is. Right. And, and, you know, it's something that gets made fun of among literary fiction, you know, like in literary fiction mm-hmm. circles, you know, well, it's formulaic. Well, no, it follows a formula, but that doesn't mean the writing has to be formulaic. No, no, no. Um, you know, when I sit down to watch Law and Order, or when I sit down to watch yeah. a a you know a a mystery oriented show, I I would be really shocked if suddenly there's, you know. It turns into a, a Christian angel storyline. Right, right, <laughs> Not right. that there's anything wrong with Christian angel storylines. It's more like, but this isn't what I signed up for. Right. right so right. that's what I was doing my readers without realizing it. Right. I know the worst thing anybody can say to me is, well, it's like nothing you've ever read before. And I just want to go, oh, <laughs> darn. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Oh, honey. <laughs> well, and, and the hard part is that we all, like, I have a series of the heart that yeah. I am wanting to write. And I, and I have started writing it. And that's what I say to people. Okay. I say, well, it's, it's, it's a little of this and it's a little of that. And it's got some fantasy and it's speculative fiction. I finally yeah. have a term for it. Yeah. It's spec fic, which yeah. spec fic is basically like the garbage sink, you know, the, uh, the, yeah. the kitchen sink, not the garbage <laughs> sink, the kitchen sink. Uh, like we're just going to throw a little of everything in there and it does work for speculative fiction. Authors, right, but right. There are very few of those series that do really well. Right. And, you know, so there's a part of me, you know, I've got that author's ego that says, well, I'm going to do it differently this time. Right. But it's not what I'm working. You know, I'm a working writer. This is yes. what I do for a living. Yes. So I will write that on the side, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, I'm working on my, fun romantic comedies and um i've put a pause button on my romantic suspense just because in the current atmosphere i can't i can't write romantic suspense suspense right now yeah but the comedy speaks to me mm-hmm. um but yeah that it's like nothing you've ever read before yeah. but is, i think once you've established yourself you can go out on that limb uh, in the beginning i, I just think I mean, you can do it, but, and you might, if you have success, I want to know about it because that is pretty uncommon. But yeah, I always just go, I wish it was a little more like something I had read because it would help you, I think, if you did that. So have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? I'm deliberating on it because I'm high deliberative. Mm-hmm. I took Becca Zines. Yes, of course. We did too. Um, Everybody <laughs> take a shot. Like, here we go. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm deliberating because I've made more than my share of mistakes mm-hmm. and big ones attached to significant dollar signs and emotional uh, dollar signs. Mm-hmm. But have I made a mistake that turned out to be – good in the end no um i you know we have have a follow-up okay (laughs) okay so have you ever made it have you ever done the opposite where you thought you had this great idea but then it didn't turn out to be so great um yes on a on a mild level like i'm by nature because i'm very um risk averse I don't take the giant leaps. Um, if anything, that's been my biggest error, not taking leaps. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, so I've had spinoffs. So I've had, two, I guess I've had two things that have happened that didn't turn out as well as I had hoped. I, I've had one spinoff. Um, I co-author a spinoff series from my shopping for a billionaire series, but it surprised me that it hasn't done better than it. I, I thought, Oh great. Spinoff whole new series. People, mm-hmm. readers will love this because they'll have something to read. Um, and it it's done well among the super, super core, but it hasn't done well in the next ring or the ring after that or the ring after that of readers. And so that was surprising because that took a lot of time and, and effort. And there's cameos from the All core. the other good ones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other is I, I have a character in my random series, Darla. She's the main character. And by book four, she started writing shifter novels as an inside joke. And this was in 2014 before I was writing shifter novels. And I got enough fan email saying, what, where's that novel? Where, where, where are Darla's books? And so I've actually put out two, I've created something called the camp shifter series and it's the premise and it's under the name DJ Jennings, which is Darla. (laughs) And, And the premise is that, we have a world where shifters are known, but are discriminated against. And, (laughs) and you find out it's kind of got a little, a little Hogwarts esque thing to it. You find out between the ages of 18 and 25 that you're a shifter. You either shift first time uncontrollably and then, or you get a letter telling you (laughs) you have to spend a month at camp shifter. (laughs) getting trained to be a shifter and there's a shifter vaccine and it's this whole, it's really, I had a lot of fun with it. And it people, even though I mention it at the end of my random books yeah. and even though it briefly Darla and her friend Amy in the series talk about what Darla's writing. Mm-hmm. And even though the series, the camp directors are the three main characters from my random series, Darla, Trevor and Joe, they uh-huh. run the camp in the shifter world. They're yes. all wolves it just hasn't caught and yeah. the third one, I'm actually editing the third one right now. So th- that's one of those things I'm doing it. I'm still writing them because I have fun writing them. Yes. But I, it surprised me, but it didn't. Cause once I got to thinking about it more, I realized a lot of contemporary readers don't move over to paranormal. Shifters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it remains to be seen whether I can, pull people into the series through the paranormal. Like maybe they'll like the shifters and they'll come over to Darla. But that, that idea, I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. I get to world build. I get to, and then people will no, no. And it's, you know, every, every reader has their tastes and their likes. So it's, I'm not upset, but it's more like, Oh, I'm a little surprised because Darla is such a popular character for you. I mean, people love her. You she's know. crazy. Well, she's, that's why. Yeah, she's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> she's everybody's id. Yeah, you know? she has no filter right. whatsoever. And that was that was that was part of the surprise of that book taking off. When I wrote Random Acts of Crazy, I broke. So that's an example where I broke a bunch of romance rules. Mm-hmm. She slept around. Yeah. She talked openly about her past sex life. Mm-hmm. She's very you know she's significantly heavier. I mean, she's a BBW and, mm-hmm. and she has, is brash about it. She's sex positive and, and she ends up with two guys and it just, and she's still with them 10 books later. Yeah. So, but that's an, that's one example too, where I, I broke rules 
where the books aren't all about those three. Yes. It's it's like book one is about her and the two guys in this band. Book two is about a different guy in the band and his girlfriend. So in other words, if I were to rewrite that now, I would have made different choices because readers, if they read book one and think that the next nine books are only about Darla, Trevor, and Joe, mm -hmm. they're in for a surprise and I may lose people. So that's yeah. like a structure thing yeah. that I would yeah. change now. Right. Mm -hmm. Just knowing... Just experience, you know. So yeah, that. yeah, that's good. Um, so, is there anything you you've stopped doing, tasks or goals or things you've taken off your plate um, because they don't have an ROI financially or emotionally or even you know socially, basically? And why why have you done that? That's that's a really good question. Um, I'm really bad at that. I'm really, my scope creep is huge for me because <laughs> I, and this is like a, 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 I don't know if you want to call it a psychological quirk or just a, a weakness or, mm -hmm. or not a strength as Becca would say, not a weakness, mm -hmm. just not a strength or a basement for mm -hmm. one of my, um, one of my strengths. I, it's very hard. I call it superstition. It's really hard for me to let go of the superstitious behaviors Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really critical to do that. Mm -hmm. So the pruning, um, I, I would say I haven't dropped a lot of things, um, but I've delegated them. Uh, so yeah. I have learned to delegate a lot of things. I have an absolutely outstanding project manager slash assistant <clears throat> who I've worked with now for five and a half years. Mm -hmm. And, and she's just phenomenal. And so as, as time has passed, we've migrated more and more responsibilities and tasks to her. Um, but I would say, I would say I haven't dropped a lot of things, but I would say we've honed them. So, so for instance, there might've been a time that um, I wanted to, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, newsletter building mm -hmm. is, is one example. I don't do as much of the, um, quote unquote, cold newsletter building where you join us, you know, a sweepstakes or, 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 or not join you sponsor us, help to sponsor a larger giveaway or sweepstakes or things like that. Um, not because I don't find any value in it. It's just that right now I'm finding that that's not a good way for me to build a mailing list. Um, but again, it's not that I don't do them ever. It's that I'm more selective, um, about that. Uh, another one is group projects. I don't have the bandwidth to do a lot of um, things that I did in, in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to, you know, I have three kids. I have a husband who has some significant health issues that we've talked openly about. My husband is losing his vision um, and requires surgeries that no longer can be done. So, so my life is um, on the personal side, mm -hmm. very different than it was four or five years ago, three right. years ago, right. even. Right. Right. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have too, and I haven't been doing this as long as you, but like, there are just some things that I like parties or things like that, unless it's like a really good friend or, or because you did this for me, um, someone who's just starting that I know that I'm, you know, I know their books that I will jump in there, but it's just 
to me, that requires so much mental energy. And it's not really that hard, but I don't know (laughs) why. That is that one thing, you know, that you're just like, I can't do that anymore. You know, if I can do it, but if I do that, then something else just doesn't get done the way I need it to get done. So for me, that's the one thing I'm taking off. But it's so funny because for other people, that's just not even a big deal. But for me, for whatever reason, that's just one of those things. So I get, I get what you're saying. So tell us about writing multiple genres. Like um, how did that start? And I, I guess because we're going to talk about your co-writing too, like you can talk about both of those things together. Like how, how did you get into just writing both genres and then co-writing with other people? Yeah, I, um, so I, I, I started with the, all the romantic comedy because when I wrote, no matter what, I veered into comedy. Like mm-hmm. even when I was writing the historicals, I kept doing silly, goofy things in them that I kept having to get weeded out. And finally I was like, well, then I'm just going to write comedy. And the romantic suspense came about um, in 2014. I wanted to try something different. I was just curious and comedy Comedy is hard to write because the kind of comedy I write often relies on a long seeded, seeded meaning S-E-E-D-E-D. I have to seed the joke for long stretches of time until you hit the apex mm-hmm. and the, you know, the kind of the climax of the joke whaps you and it, it's the way that I write. And that's, tiring sometimes it's hard Mm -hmm. it's really hard to think ahead and say what can I put in chapter two that's going to come back and bite the heroine in the butt in chapter seven Mm -hmm. and so I found myself reading mystery and reading suspense and really liking it and thinking "Ooh, I could like really mess with people's emotions this would Mm -hmm. be fun like Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and and so I just started writing and it evolved from there and I decided to tackle a motorcycle club romance, but I did it my own weird way and it kind of went from there. And so I, I also, because I'm a working writer um, until this year, I was the sole support for the family. Um, It's kind of complicated, but my husband went back to work after being offered like the primo consulting gig, work from home, pick your hours Mm -hmm. kind of like, like the job everyone imagines somebody Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but that's new. That just happened mm-hmm. mid, mid-year last year. And so I was it. And so when I couldn't write comedy, I was like, oh my, well, I gotta, I gotta write something. And so originally it just started as, can I write suspense? Can I write this? And then it became, well, if I can't write comedy, I need to write something else to generate revenue. And I chose a completely different pen name like completely different pen name because the Melly Rain books that I write are so different. I mean, there, there is, there are flashes of comedy, but they are literally like two paragraphs mm-hmm. in like an entire book. Mm-hmm. And I have to be really careful when I write them because sometimes the comedy does try to come out. Um, but I published them and didn't tell anyone. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I had a few author friends who wrote more intense, not so much suspense, but more intense romance, who helped me a little bit with promo. 
put, you know, like they put some of my books in their newsletters, but I didn't do some big push because I wanted to see what would happen. Right. So, so that's how I started writing suspense. And then the books did well enough. And then I finally announced it about a year after um, it was when my second series was out and I got a book bub on the box set mm-hmm. and decided, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to tell mm-hmm. everybody. And to my surprise, I let my Julia Kent readers know. And on the day I let them know, I sold, now the box set was 99 cents, but I sold right. 1,600 copies of oh my gosh. set from my newsletter. Yeah, uh, it, it was like, for, you know, I had coded the link to see yes. you know, that kind of a thing. And it was like, and I hit, <clears throat> excuse me, hit USA Today that, that week. Wow. So that was, and then that was actually, I almost killed that name off. Um, in late 2016, I had my third series, the harmless series came out and it was doing okay. It was doing okay, but not great. And my Julia books were doing even better. So I said, okay, well I have to focus on Julia. And then I got a book bub on the first book of my harmless series in February of 2017 and it exploded. So it's just been an interesting thing where I I think, okay, I'm going to, put a pause button on this or not do this. Mm-hmm. And then the shifter writing came out. Um, a friend of mine, we were at Nink in 2014 and we had a really big bottle of vodka in our room. <laughs> somebody, not our, in her room. And it was one of those like, we should write together. Yeah. What should we write? Well, not rom-com because we both write rom-com. Yeah. We should write like shifters. Like it just, <laughs> like, billionaire shifters. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it just yeah. it, it, and it British, 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 <laughs> <laughs> hot billionaire shifters. Oh, yeah. Sometimes those decisions are the best when you just, if you know somebody well, and you know yeah. your co-writer really well, it sounds like. Yes, yeah. Well, and we're open about it. My co-writer is Gretchen Galway, and oh, yeah. she's yeah. awesome, and she writes really, really funny rom-coms, and now she's yes. writing cozy, very, very good cozy mysteries. My husband, she's he is a huge fan of her cozies. She writes these witch cool. PNR cozies that are are really well done. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, that so that's great. that's kind of how it all evolved. And then how do you how do you do the co-writing? Do you, do you plot it all together? I mean, get it and plot it together, and then go back and forth, or it's a mixture, like, because we did six books, and each book was a little different. In the beginning, we really plotted, and then um, I wrote most of one POV, and she wrote most of the other POV. That's how, yeah. It was, um, it was very fun to play um, hot potato, mm-hmm. <laughs> with, and it's kind of like one, a lot of one, one-upmanship. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to Like... Ha, ha ha you know beat this like you yeah. have that feeling of sending those 2000 words off to the other going right. you know right. and she always always raised the bar and uh, i was like oh man that's <laughs> that is fantastic such a good author but we've had a lot of fun we've had a lot of fun with those books so yeah. that's great well one thing we wanted to ask you about was writing ahead in like production and so I'm curious about that but then I'm also curious how you balance all of the projects because you have a bunch of different series going so yeah tell us a little bit about that so writing ahead um I've been trying it was my big goal for 2019 and I, I did it um trying to write ahead enough to get simultaneous audio 
And, you know, that really made a difference for me and has made a difference. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to get access to some really top-notch narrators. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been working with Tanya Eby since, oh my gosh, 2014. And that was because Gretchen Galway recommended her. So, oh, nice. and she has done some of Gretchen's books. But I work, I mean, I've worked with Zach Weber, Amy McFadden, uh, Aaron Mallon, Sebastian York, Andy Arndt, Tad Branson, I'm going to forget somebody um, in here, uh, Aaron Shedlock, Virginia Rose, um, um, Savannah Peachwood. Oh, I'm totally going to forget people. I want to be really careful. Um, and for those but, of you oh, who Joe, Ar Joe Arden. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for those of you who don't know Romance, those are like the biggest names in Romance yeah. audio. I mean, maybe audio in general, but definitely in romance. So, yeah, those are. Oh, and Tim Page just did something, yeah. a small, like something small. It, so, these are, and it's been, it's been a real, um, writing ahead has been one of the biggest challenges I've faced in my entire career because of life mm -hmm. and motivation. And I'm, I don't do well under deadlines. That's one of the things I've learned, um, you know, about myself in the last year. I just don't, the stress of the deadline isn't, um, isn't a motivator. Intrinsic motivation is my motiva motivator, but, um, but you have no choice when you book a narrator. You and, and narrators are um, professionals like us. They you can't just keep moving the mm -hmm. goalpost. Although I just did. <laughs> Fortunately, somebody was very gracious and able to move it. But um, but the the simultaneous audio I think has been really big for me personally. So how far ahead do you have to write to be able to get? the audio production done. So do you do a simultaneous release with the I audio. Do. Yeah. I do. So how far ahead do you have to ride? Do you think? It depends entirely on, um, you know, my goal is to be a few months ahead. Mm. Uh, my long-term goal is to be six to nine months ahead. And at one point I had gotten to about four and a half months ahead and then life intervened. Yeah. Um, and I don't do audio for all my books, but I do them for like the major um, series. Although right now I'm in the middle of doing backlist audio on my random series. I saw that. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, I've got Andy Arndt and Sebastian York and Tad Branson doing those. And, um, and so that's been really cool. Um, but writing ahead, it's, I don't do all of them. Um, yeah. A few months is the best answer. I mean, it's, it, it gets really technical. Um, if you are able to, if, if, if my goal is to have a pre-order button up, then my answer is different from I'm just going to release it into the wild and hope the two sync up. Mm -hmm. right. um, so, and right now ACX is backed up big time. They're really backed up in approving and, and they're, you know, I've been fortunate that like random acts of crazy is coming out on April 15th and the pre-order button did just go live. So I'm fortunate, but I have heard that, you know, yeah. and they're, they're affected by COVID like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we, we assume as industry professionals that, well, our lives haven't changed that much because we're right. already introverts who hide in our <laughs> house and don't shower for three days. Um, but that's not true for Amazon and Audible that's and ACX and draft to digital right. and Kobo, like th these companies that are, are as nimble as they can be, but mm -hmm. they have limitations. So, right. 
Yeah. Yeah. So are you doing it yourself through ACX or do you outsource it? Do you uh, license the rights or how do you do it? Oh, so I do everything. I I have everything is self-published with the exception of one book that I did a traditional deal with um, a a small subscription company called High Books. Um, One of my books is with them. Otherwise, I've done everything myself. The big change I made um, about a year and a half, two years ago was I did start using production companies where before it was just me and the narrator and whatever producer those narrators were using. Once I started doing dual narration, it got too comp. It started to get complicated. And then, frankly, I got um, very fortunate to start to work with Andy Arndt, who owns her own production company. And Lyric Lyric Productions has done a fabulous job with uh, any of my multi-narrator projects that I've, I've had. And so that's, that's become, it's just so much easier to use mm-hmm. a production company. Um, but it, for single narrator projects, I work directly with, with my narrators, most of them. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. That's what but I do too. I mean, I feel really fortunate 2019 for me, I produce, I, I released the fewest number of books that I've released and audio was on the rise and I was so happy. I mean, I've done, I'm at number 40 or 42, 41, 42 self-published audio books. And that revenue stream as, as a, an author has been a saving grace because it not just because audio has gone up in mm-hmm. as a, uh, you know, in terms of raw increase mm-hmm. in the industry, but to to have control over that and to be able to jump into projects or jump into promos and to have that um, and to, or or to see something that was done in 2014 and 2015 get new life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's been really yeah. valuable for me so um, yeah that's awesome so do you um, I know people will want to know do you do ACX exclusive or do you do non exclusive and also use like Find a Way or something else yeah so I actually was one of the First, people working with Find a Way. I'm talking like mid 2017 mm-hmm. um, was the first time I met with them. I so I I have 34 books non-exclusive. Boy, I, I, have, to, I have to go check my numbers. <laughs> um, but I was doing non-exclusive. I, I went in exclusive and then changed the contracts years ago to non-exclusive. Um, so I'm really pleased with doing a multimodal approach right now. What I do is um, my, all my backlist is wide and then front list though I'm doing for now, this may change um, for now I'm doing exclusive with ACX and then the plan is after a year to go wide and that way the library distribution and other smaller vendors can kick in. And then also I have control over the pricing. Um, I'm really pleased with chirp as well. Mm-hmm. They have been phenomenal. Um, I've been working with them for a while. And um, so, so that's my approach now exclusive for a year and then go wide. I don't know whether I'm going to change that. Um, and if I do, it'll be for, you know, data reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The library market is just going crazy. That's what I'm seeing is just yeah. like people have realized that they can get audiobooks from their library. And yeah. I'm getting emails from readers saying, when will this book be out in audio through my library? Uh, and I'm like, 
whenever it gets through quality control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Sarah does really well with audio, and but I think it too, you know, she writes mysteries, and so and also her really popular series right now is a uh, mystery set in the twenties, which is awesome, by the way. Yeah. But um, oh, nice. but it does great, I think, yeah, for escapism. her escapism, and I think that that is a smaller. There's less books in audio, and like once you start getting down into the smaller niches, there's smaller. There's a smaller portion of audiobooks available, and yes. so like it, I feel like we're kind of at the point now that we were with eBooks, maybe five years ago. Like the there's not that much competition yes. in audio. Do you feel that way? I think I think um, I think it depends on what you write. Mm-hmm. If you are in contemporary romance, you are competing <laughs> with yeah. a flood of material, good material too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so get, I think you have to spend um, to get visibility more in contemporary romance than in some other niches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the upshot is it's a much bigger market. Mm-hmm. Um, the downside though, is that that's the trade-off. Mm-hmm. And I think if you found a niche and you've got rabid readers who are waiting and drooling over the next product, the next book, the next audio book, the next print book, whatever um, it is, then, then that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. But I think it's like, it's, it's different in that sense. Yeah. Um, it's different. <laughs> well, um, what changes have you seen in the show in romance over the, um, over your author career and how have you adapted to those changes? Uh, um, definitely way more authors way more um, and a a seemingly infinite series of opportunities Mm -hmm. and trying to sort through what aligns with my values, what aligns with my time, what aligns with my brand. If I have a brand, I'm Mm -hmm. terrible at that. (laughs) Um, Then that's, a major challenge. Um, so I think it's just the scope creep of the industry opening up. That's been a huge change. Um, I think that there's a, definitely been an increase in quality standards. And I want to be careful what I mean by that. Yeah. Um, covers in 2011, 2012, 2013 were very different than they are now. And we have access to so many good quality cover designers now that we didn't then. Um, I think that the, um, the kind of story that's popular now is different than the kind of story. I mean, I got started when 50 shades was huge and bless EL James for literally creating this whole environment that we've been able to to enter into mm-hmm. um but i see i see where that where books that were in that same feel were hugely popular I, and i don't know that much because i don't write books that are more intense that more intense yeah. whether it's bdsm or just intense mm-hmm. um i get the sense that i see a lot of authors who used to write that way kind of pivoting and writing more rom-com or writing more of something a little different Mm-hmm. Um, sports romance has definitely gone up since, but it's, it's, it, you know, it does this. It does I mean, that on them. Yeah. Like I, I suspect right now that fantasy 
histor- anything historical, whether it's historical fiction, historical mm-hmm. mystery, historical romance, I suspect anything that isn't our world mm-hmm. is doing well. Anything that isn't too serious is doing well. Because right now, if somebody even has the time to pick up an e-reader mm-hmm. and plop down and go into a world, they, they're, you know, and, and maybe I'm wrong for, I, I don't know, maybe pandemic books are doing super well or zombie series. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, um, but I know in, in romance, when, you know, when you think about who reads romance, mm-hmm. it's typically moms. Mm-hmm. And I don't, think most moms right now um even have a lot of time to read bless them maybe audiobooks maybe audiobooks but um but I think I I think that the that what people are reading shifts and you know an an interesting conversation popped up for me in a private group I'm in where we were talking about the fact that what we read changes period over time so I may have readers who loved my books in 2013 or 2015, a different series, but it's just not their thing now. Not because the books are bad, not because it's just not who they are now versus who they were five or six years ago. And so I think their life circumstances have changed. Exactly. And so if you think about it as a, you know, for me as a reader, what I read now is not what I was reading five years ago is not what I was reading 10 years ago. And it's not a reflection on those authors. Like I used to be a huge Jonathan Kellerman and Faye Kellerman fan. I would, and Patricia Cornwell, I would wait until those books were, I would be buying the hardback. I was like, and going home and getting my coffee and my snacks and like ignoring the world. And those are fat. They're still great books. It's, but now it's like six years go by and I sit down and finally have time and read the six books that came out mm-hmm. in those yeah, six uh-huh. years. And it's not a reflection on their writing. It's a reflection on me and my needs and my, right. who I am. Yeah. And we tend to think of groups of readers as static that yeah. like there's a big pool of romance and mystery, but, there's probably, like you're saying, there's probably more people moving from one group to the other than we realize. So yes. that should encourage us that there's always new people out there to find because somebody's new to rom-com or shifter or mystery and there. We can, we just have to find the new ones. Right. Yeah. And that's hard. And that's, that's where the biggest shift I think in the industry has happened. I think that as the, there's more competition the visibility on the vendors is, you know, they have a fixed amount of visibility mm-hmm. and we're competing for small, you know, it's the pie stays the same, but the number of people who want to slice has increased. And then that's where paying to get visibility comes in. But then that's a double edged sword because there's, there's a limit to what we, there's a limit to what you can afford. There's a limit to what readers want to be exposed to in ads. Um, and then there's a limit to, how sticky those readers might be like mm-hmm. so so it's that whole question of you can't get an organic reader easily so how do you try to find those readers who really are aligned with what you write mm-hmm. and, yeah. yeah that's the the big question <laughs> it's big hard and you know i mean because i don't put books out very fast my books rank wise still do okay i mean they still do actually quit pretty well very well you're good at that and, yeah you're really but the good. thing is i'm like 
who hasn't read this book? Because it's been out for four years. But then I think there are millions of people that have never even heard. In fact, when the last when my box set came out in January, a lot of friends put it in their groups, and some friends that um, don't always put me out, which was fine and really great that they did. But people were like, "Oh, a new to me author," and I'm thinking, I've been. I mean, How is I that know, possible? I know the author you're with. I've been in this group. I mean, you know, like I've put books in here before. So it's like there are still tons of people that don't know who Jamie Albright is, which is great because yeah. there's a chance they might buy my books. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's just harder and harder to be seen. And, and then when you do find those readers, like you said, I think that's so important. They're not necessarily organic, but can they be – are they close enough that they could become – like your organic readers sort of right. thing, you know, and, and um, you know, how much they like you and how much they talk about you and stuff. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So um, what's the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success, Julia? Oh, married the right guy. <laughs> He's been That's so very su- important. <laughs> <laughs> He's been so supportive. I mean, I, Really, I think spousal or partner support if you're in a relationship is so significant. And that's not to say that you can't be successful without that, of course. But um, I know people who had to be successful in spite of their partners and spouses. And that is a whole different realm. Right. Um, but, but aside from marrying well, um, I think I... I, I lack something that a lot of authors have. I lack imposter syndrome. I simply don't have it. I have it in other parts of my life. I had it in, in truckloads in academia. But I don't worry, will people like my book? in the way that I keep hearing, like I don't get writer's block because I'm afraid that readers aren't going to like the thing I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my attitude is I'm, I'm going to write the best book that I can. I'm going to put it out there. And if it connects with people, great. And if it doesn't connect with people, okay, I'll, I'll write another one. Um, and it really is that simple. It's um, and, and so I, I think that sets me up. I think it does too. In a pretty (laughs) natural, not a natural, not that my success is natural, but it's, it's innate in me. Like I can't, I can't teach it to someone else. I can't, you know, it's just, it's just a part of who I am. Um, And it's not a hurdle you have to get over to get to the next, like that's just not, it's just not an issue for you. Yeah. Wow. That's great because yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's other things I could point to that pointed, you know, that helped with the success. But I think when I, when I look at my author friends and I see them like just squeezing their hearts out, struggling with this kind of thing. And it, it makes me want to, you know, I, I've learned to just stay quiet about it because <laughs> the last thing, and I know from being in academia and dealing with it, because yeah. the last thing you want to hear is someone else going, no, I don't feel that at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not a judgment on you for feeling it. I yeah. you, I have empathy for you, uh, but it's not my not yeah. my struggle, not my hurdle. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I do I do think that for me, my biggest struggle is I am risk averse, um, and I'm too deliberative. I am too strategic and deliberative. So I always I will spend too long 
figuring out all the implications of a plan rather than just start doing it. Mm-hmm. And my number one is activator. Ugh. So I jump in <laughs> and, and I have a fabulous idea and 20,000 word, 20, words in, I'm like, hey, I don't have a story. I got a great idea, but I don't really have a story. So, yeah. oh, I'm not so risk funny. averse. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I jump. I jump and then look later. So, I'm definitely with Julia. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't. I don't do anything. I spend too long thinking. So it's really fun. Yeah. So I'm very interested in translation. So, um, I can you tell us like how you've been doing that and what has worked well for you with that? Okay, that's been a minefield. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at that, has, I have been working on translations since 20 late 2013 early 2014 and you wouldn't know it from the number that are out there um this is one of those early-ish adopter nightmare stories (laughs) but um without getting into it too much i have a lot of books that i have never seen the light of day because i learned the hard way that some translators are better than others um And so I have books in German and in French across two different pen names of Julia and uh, Melly Rain. And it's only literally in the last year or so that I've kind of ironed it out and started to find some good people to work with. Um, I have four books in French that are out, three more, or actually many more are coming. Um, I had the very wonderful fortune of being friends with a French-American author, Olivia Riggle, who is just extraordinary. She's published with Montlake, France, hit number one in the store. I've known her for ages, and she's one of my my good author buddies, and she's been instrumental in helping me. Um, But I also use a team of proofreaders and translators. But um, the the self-pub part of doing a language you don't know or that a friend isn't helpful (laughs) with because she knows it, that's, that's the biggest stumbling block. And now there are way more resources. Like there are translation agencies that will handle the marketing translation for you on a wider level. There are even some agencies that do PR now. That was not a thing in 2014 and 15 when I was trying to start. Um, So for me, it was, it was, it, it, it was very much um, like the first book, the first French translation I did, I earned out in three weeks, but that was 2015. (laughs) And then I didn't get a second book out because of some complications with Mm -hmm. translation teams. Mm -hmm. And so there were fits and starts. And then I didn't get any more French books out until last year, 2019. And the, the, the each language is different each country is different. So the way that French readers in Canada behave is different from French readers in France. And it's, you know, I'm, it's, and the, the COVID lockdown, I believe is changing reader behavior in certain countries because right now I'm seeing a huge spike in French readership. And I, I suspect some of that is that print is very strong in those countries and people can't leave to go get their print books. Mm -hmm. That's just a suspicion. I don't know if this, or I I don't know because I'm I'm literally not marketing any of these. I don't know if retailers have chosen to take a first in the series free that I did in French and market it. So it, 
it's a little complicated, but the, the biggest thing with translations is um, I don't speak, my husband speaks German, but he's not, um, his mother's German, but not professional level. Like in other words, he could not read a manuscript and say, oh yes, this translation is good. And I'm not handing anything to my mother-in-law who left Germany in 1946 <laughs> and who's fluent, but there's like a running joke. There's a running joke in the family. I, I took a German class years ago to speak German to my husband's grandmother. And I kept calling a pen a Federhalter, which is feather holder. I was calling it a quill <laughs> <laughs> because... In the 1940s, that was the word for pen. <laughs> so at any rate. Um, so just not, one of the pitfalls of translation yeah. and language. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I know authors. I, I am not, I would not consider myself an author to ask for high-level advice on translations mm -hmm. um, because I've basically made every mistake you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And so the people who are, it's, you know, the advice is the same. The, the people who are doing well in those countries, in those languages, those are the people to go to and say, Hey, yeah. how are, how are you doing it? But you definitely yeah. need a team, right? You have to have, I the, think so. The translator and the proofreader and then the marketing. It's a big, it's a big project. Yes. And, and like, like many of our other freelancer um, relationships that we all have over the years. People come, people go. People do high quality, people don't do such high quality. Like it's it's a revolving, it, for me it has been a revolving door and that's been frustrating because I, I haven't experienced that in any other aspect of the business at the level that I've experienced it with mm. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So like I haven't experienced it with audio. I haven't experienced it with cover design. I have it. So, and I think part of it is a big part of it is I am not fluent in these languages. Mm -hmm. If I were, I would be able to catch things in a better way or mm -hmm. weed through things in a yeah. better way. Yeah. Um, but I know other people who have not had these experiences. Right. And so maybe they're just better at managing teams than I am. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, so when you say your, your foreign sales are doing better during the COVID-19 thing, is it ebook sales or, or your paperback sales? Ebook. Ebook. Yeah. Because what I, 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 we're in a group together and I think I mentioned it. Like I have sold a lot of paperbacks over the last two weeks. I rarely yeah. sell paperbacks and I've sold a lot. I mean, for me, it's a lot. Yeah. So I find that so interesting because people I, want their books. I, well, I, mean, so. I don't. So like I will read on an e-reader, but mm -hmm. it's not my preference, when, right. especially when I'm reading nonfiction. I like right. the book. Right. And so I've actually been ordering more book mm -hmm. books than ever. We can't go to the library. No. Mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. know, I, I, so I think, um, I haven't noticed personally a, a paperback lift, but, um, well, I, because I sell so few, it's right. It's, right. Mark, it's a marked difference. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if that's because there are people that aren't, there are those kind of casual readers that are ordering books. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. You know, it'd be nice if they were the casual readers because that means, you know, you're picking up. Yeah. In a whole new group, but yeah, they're the yes. new the new readers that haven't found yeah. you before, maybe. Exactly. So whole exactly. new so demographic. We'll That'd be good. Well, it's been so great to have you today, and we awesome. just had a wonderful time talking. Thank you for sharing so much. We really appreciate it. Thank so, you. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you and your books. 
Oh, okay. So you can find me at jkentauthor.com. Uh, my books are everywhere. You can find it on the five, my books on the five main retailers, but you can find most of my books on uh, also on Hoopla, um, in your library system. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.